Well, hello everyone. Uh, welcome back to Causey's Conversations. Uh, my name is Jared, and it's good to have you back. Uh, I know it's been a while. The summer has been busy. It's been quite a summer. I've been busy pretty much every week and weekend of this summer, but it's been a great summer. I hope you've had a wonderful summer as well. I know school is kicking back off uh, here shortly, and uh, so today we're gonna um, we're gonna talk about um, school. Now, I know some of you might think that's kind of uh, ridiculous. Why would you talk about school? Um, but um, today I wanted to talk about school. Um, specifically, I wanted to talk about seminary. Uh, since seminary is kicking back off, I thought it'd be kind of cool to do um, kind of a series of um, topics related to seminary. So tonight, I'm, I'm just going to um, I'm going to discuss why I'm going to seminary, the purpose of seminary, why I think it's good for people to go to seminary, that especially those that are wanting to train to be pastors and um, scholars in the theological realm. Um, I'm really wanting to, 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 to talk about that tonight because I think there's a, a big misconception within um, many in evangelicalism about seminary, the purpose of it, you know, if it's good or not, if it's beneficial. Um, so I will be doing that tonight. Um, but uh, before I get to that, I just wanted to to, to share a little bit of something that, that happened this summer. Um, me and my wife, Amy, we were able to go up to Chicago um, and got to visit some friends over there, but we also got to go to Kansas City, Missouri, and, and we also got to go to Kansas and, and, and visit family there and uh, see some friends in that area, and it, it was a wonderful time. Got to visit the campus of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and just really had a great, great time. Uh, there and I just you know wanted to say you know for those of you that have ever been around that area maybe you went past Kansas and you're like man like Kansas is kind of boring it's it's kind of you know um, just not not a whole lot to see um, I definitely wouldn't um, I don't know if, if the entire state is like this but the the places we went in Kansas were amazing not because it was big cities and just you know amazing in that sense, but just because it was really cool get to to see the culture over there, and you know it's almost like it's kind of like the South in a way, but then again it's like it's it's very different in in another sense. I mean it's definitely up north, so you have the kind of the northern you know climate uh, weather, which was really awesome. But you also have the the hills, the foothills there. And just the people there are just really cool. And I mean, it was just a really awesome time. Kansas City itself was amazing, like the, the city. Um, so that was, we got to do that and got to visit the seminary there. And then went to Chicago, got to visit another seminary in Chicago called Moody Bible Institute. Um, so, you know, got to, got to see two schools that I don't attend. And I know some people are like, why in the world would you go to a school in think that's awesome well I guess like I guess when you you go to a Southern Baptist seminary and you hear about everything that's going on at these other seminaries and who's coming out of each seminary uh, what's going on what God is doing in these different seminaries and schools you just when you get to actually go there and visit it yourself you just you're really blessed by that so um, it's, it was a really awesome summer um, I just wanted to kind of share that just to, to kind of share a little bit what's going on in my life if you do care, if not, I mean, it's totally cool. Um, I'm not uh, spending too much uh, time in the podcast of doing this. So, um, but anyway, um, 
great summer, great times, uh, but I'm very much excited about school starting. I'm taking three classes this semester. Um, I'm taking Systematic uh, Theology 1 with Dr. Bingham. Uh, looking forward to that. I've never taken Dr. Bingham um, before. I've taken one other uh, Systematic Theology class um, and uh, had a great experience there in Dr. Yarnell's class. Um, but I've never taken Dr. Bingham, and um, I've heard great things, though. He was our interim president at Southwestern bef right before we, we got Greenway, Dr. Greenway, Adam Greenway. Um, so it, it was, I'm looking forward to that for sure. And then I'm um, taking Hebrew 1, so I'm pretty nervous about that because, I mean, if you've ever taken a language like Spanish or Latin, French, whatever it is, German, I mean, it, languages are hard. Like, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. You have to keep doing it. You have to do it over and over and over again. I mean, it's crazy. And I'm just, I don't know if I'll get it very well. Um, I've heard that if you're really good at Greek, you're going to be really bad at Hebrew. If you're really uh, good at Hebrew, you're going to be really bad at Greek. That's what I've heard. I don't know if that's true. I was like, in terms of, you know, Jared's standards of what's good and what's bad, I was good at uh, I was good at Greek. Um, now I'm not saying I was I'm good at it compared to you know just anyone, but uh, in in my in my understanding of what's good and uh, and how I evaluated myself, like I I thought it, I did decent in it, and uh, so I'm, I'm I have a feeling Hebrew is going to be pretty hard. So I'm taking Dr. Williams. I've heard he's a great professor. So um, really looking forward to that. Um, it's a night class, so I do well at night, like reading and stuff like that. So maybe it might be good. It might be fine. I'm taking it with a friend of mine. So it'll be cool to have a friend. I might have several friends there, but I know of one specifically. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And then finally, this is personally the class I'm, I'm really like, I, like I get, like I'm just getting excitement thinking about this class. Like it's crazy. Like I love it. Um, I'm, I'm taking a biblical interpretations in the early church, uh, with Dr. Presley and I'm just, I'm so much, I'm looking forward to it so much. Like he is a great professor and, uh, really got, uh, enjoyed getting to know him and taking him for church history one and two. And, um, I, just a lot of reading, but you know, we're reading early church fathers, which, some people might think it's kind of a waste of time. I would say it's not a waste of time. It's very much a beneficial thing to do. If you're ever wanting to really grasp theology and understand biblical theology well, I think the early church fathers are a good place to go to, um, all of them. And so when I mean early church fathers, I mean the, the men, the scholars, the pastors, theologians that lived... Um, you know, shortly after the f the first several centuries after Christ ascended and uh, the day of Pentecost. So guys like Augustine, uh, Athanasius, Origen, um, Irenaeus, I mean, those are just several there. Um, you know, reading those folks, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so beneficial for the Christian. And I feel like those, that, you know, discipline gets neglected. And not that, not to say that you have to do that to be a good Christian, but that if you want to be a good Christian, this is a way to um, to be aided as you're trying to live the Christian life, I guess. Um, it's a beneficial 
discipline. Um, I guess it's like, um, not exactly, but I maybe compare it to like memorizing scripture. I think memorizing scripture is more important and more helpful. Um, but if you memorize scripture, that aids you in your walk with Christ. Um, so I'm not really comparing the two. I'm not trying to compare the two in um, an equal an equal way. But I am saying, though, it's kind of similar in that sense of it's like you don't have to memorize Scripture to be a Christian. Um, but if you're a good Christian, you're going to want to know Scripture to the extent that you're memorizing it. And you can just quote it off the top of your head. Um, same thing with reading the early church fathers. You would you should want to know more about what these men uh, believed. Now, some people will say, well, they were Roman Catholic. You have to realize something. Um, these men were Roman Catholic uh, in the extent of, um, in their current situation, they were Catholic, but they did not, um, I would say they did not agree with the probably the majority of what the Roman current Roman uh, Catholicism says today. Um, it has, I think, um, I think after, I think after the early church fathers, the Catholic church went off the rails big time. Um, I, I, it's hard. It's people debate on when exactly the um, Roman Catholic church kind of went off the rails there um, into apostasy. But I would say the Council of Trent is a very good, like, clear indication. And the reason I say that is because that's when they came out and basically said, if you believe in justification by faith alone, then you're anathema. That means you're you're basically going to hell. So I think at that point is when they really kind of went off the rails officially. Um, actually, I mean, obviously right before problems or extreme problems were there, but... Um, and it's not to say that everyone in the Catholic Church today is is dying and going to hell. That's not to say that either, but it's just to say that the Roman Catholic Church has went off the rails as a church, and uh, therefore the gospel is not there, but God still saves his people despite uh, what a church might teach or say. Um, now, I do think that those that are in the Catholic Church that are true believers should want to leave that church and, and enter into into a healthy biblical church um and uh so going back to the early church fathers i know i kind of went on a rant but that's you know that's what a podcast is i guess um you know the early church fathers are very beneficial and helpful yes they're catholic um but that's um they're not catholic in the same way that we would think of catholicism today so i want to make that clear um I agree a lot with what they said. I agree with. I disagree with some of the things they said. Um, I mean, in fact, all of them have disagreements among each other, amongst each other. So, you know, it's just good to read these guys to understand where they were at, where the Christians in that time were were at in their walk. So, just a little bit of um, a note there. Um, I, I, I know I, I was talking about my class, but I think it's helpful to talk about that. Like in the church, I think it's really cool to talk about the early church fathers and church history in general. I mean, why are we neglecting such a important part of the Christian life? Like our history, like we, we in, you know, public school or whatever, uh, private school, whatever school, you know, or even homeschooling, um, we talk about for kids and for students, you know, oh, you you should know American history because we need to know 
where we came from, uh, the mistakes and, and the, the mistakes that we made and, and so that we don't commit those same mistakes again, uh, but also um, so that we know, hey, these are the good things that we did do uh, or they did do, and therefore we learned that hey, these, this is what we need to do today. Um, and so we look at American history in that sense and say, you know, that's good. We need to learn American history. We need to learn where we came from. Um, so I don't know why we we tend to ignore that in the Christian life. Like we have so many people that have come before us in the Christian faith um, that have proclaimed the gospel, that have uplifted the gospel and proclaimed it and uh, cherished it so much and have walked the Christian life in a uh, wonderful and biblical manner. So why not look at their life? Why not look at uh, their culture and their setting? Um, why should we ignore those things? That's my question, and I think the answer is we shouldn't. Um, we shouldn't ignore them, and we should look at our our, our history in the church. Um, and so that kind of uh, kind of connects us to, to to the topic tonight. I wanted to. To introduce, um, so why seminary? Why do I think semin Why is seminary good? Um, I think I went on Grant Keel's podcast. He he has done a podcast before. He doesn't do it anymore, unfortunately. Which I wish he would. Uh, Grant, if you're listening, uh, please do your podcast again. I know you have a kid now, but if you have a chance, do it. But anyway, that's just that's just uh, my encouragement to Grant, my brother in Christ. Um, I do want to say though, um, you know, the, the podcast I, I did with him on his, we talked about seminary and the benefits of it. It was a great conversation. Um, and we, you know, he kind of came at it from a, you know, it wasn't like a debate or whatever. It was just like more like a kind of a d dialogue or a discussion. Like he was saying like, you know, he, he did, he, and I don't remember exactly his issues with seminary, not really issues, but just like, you know, oh, we don't have to go to seminary. You know, it's not necessary. And I would agree, like, to an extent, like, you know, maybe, like, for a pastor, like, if if someone wants to be a pastor, like, they can still theoretically be a good pastor without seminary. I mean, there, there are several examples of this. Matt Chandler is one. I mean, most people agree he's a good pastor. I mean, he's not the perfect pastor, of course, and I, I know Chandler would say that. Uh, no, there's no perfect pastor, but... Chandler definitely has succeeded in ministry, it seems, um, despite not going to seminary. Um, so, you know, the question is, well, what's the point of seminary? Well, not everyone is Matt Chandler. Okay, Matt Chandler is the exception, not the rule. Most um, aspiring pastors um, who have no theological training, if they enter in the ministry, um, and this is something I've, you know, seen and I have um, witnessed, my, you know, and from my perspective and um, have just come to understand over the years. Um, not that many years, of course. I'm not that old. I'm only 26. That's definitely not uh, that many years. But from what I've seen, those that have um, just went into the ministry and basically did, did not do any seminary have suffered because of it. And it's a... They make many mistakes, uh, whether it be in their preaching, whether it be in their use of the Greek language, uh, whether it be their lack of knowledge of church history, like I was discussing earlier, lack of understanding of systematic theology, uh, the different uh, different perspectives in theology, 
Calvinism versus non-Calvinism, uh, Pelagianism, um, you know, semi-Pelagianism, cessationism versus continuationism. You know, understanding those different topics and understanding the different nuances in, in those things. A lot of pastors will suffer and not understand those things, but that's that's just one you know example. Even more so, um, a lot of these pastors don't comprehend, they will not understand and, and not um, learn properly how to counsel someone in a biblical way um, when they go to seminary, if they, if they went to seminary. Them rejecting the notion that, you know, seminary is good, you know, and essentially um, not going to seminary, the result is they, um, for some reason, um, lack the ability, the knowledge, the um whatever it may be uh, in counseling um, a couple that is on the verge of divorce or counseling um, a rape victim, um, all those things. Now, that's not to say that, you, that seminary is the only place that teaches these things. So hypothetically or theoretically, a, a person could learn some of these things in different ways. But the place for ministers perspective ministers and pastors to learn these things is it's all in one place seminary now you can like there are certain certain some guys that will go out and they will study on their own they'll read different books and just basically learn from the from themselves um however number one you know how do you know what books to get number one now you can look online and look at recommended sources but how do you know those sources are good um, I mean, you, there's so many questions you'll have to, to uh, or hoops you'll have to go through uh, for, to do that. But at the same time, um, it's easy to miss the mark on some of these topics when you try to teach yourself these things. For example, Greek, uh, I, now there are certain people that are smart enough for sure to teach themselves a language like Greek. I mean, I, I believe it. Um, but that's very far and few between. Most people need a lot of help uh, to learn Greek. Um, it's not as simple as some might think. Um, you know, just learning different perspectives and, and being taught different things from a different perspective is so important. And just when you read a book, you're being taught by that author to an extent, but you're also reading that author with a specific lens and perspective. Um, so it's good to get, you know, not only in seminar are you reading books and reading things from your own perspective, but you're also listening to a professor teach you many different perspectives, hopefully, if he's a good professor. Um, and so I think it's important for people to understand that, that it's not just about, like, reading books and learning facts and knowledge about the Bible, about theology, or about church history, whatever. It's about how do I take what I'm learning in seminary and applying it to the local church? That's the challenge. And when you go to, you simply just go to a book and you try to read it yourself. It The author doesn't always tell you how to apply this to the local church. The professors at seminaries, if they're a professor worth their salt, 
they're going to teach you and help you learn how to apply this to the local church. They might not um, teach, you know, be there in the local church with you, helping you through it, but they will certainly teach you in the classroom, okay, this is how this applies to the local church, this is how you, you do this, and I think that's, that's so important, you know, and that, that's the most important thing, is, you know, outside of the, the student at seminary, their personal walk with Christ, making sure that's good and thriving and progressing, not only that, um, but also them understanding how to apply what they're learning to the local church. That's so important. If you, I mean, that's what the biggest benefit of seminary is professors are trained. I mean, the ones here at Southwestern are anyway. I can speak to, um, speak for, that they care about the local church so much and that they will help students take what they're learning and apply it to the local church to, to go to the believer in there, the, the church member, um, and help them through whatever it is that they um, that they're, uh, they're needing help in. So whether it be uh, counsel, whether it be just understanding the gospel, how to understand the gospel, how to understand God, um, who He is, how to understand the Trinity, or how to understand uh, how we got here today and evangelicalism in the year 2019. Like, what is, you know, how do we, you know, apply those things, what we learned? I mean, all those things are taught. Um, at a good seminary. Now, obviously, not every seminary is good. Not every seminary is helpful in doing these things. I'm not saying that. But in my experience, the good ones are doing this. And I think those that want to be in the ministry and be, uh, when I say ministry, a vocational ministry, whether it be a pastor, elder, lay elder, music minister, children's minister, whatever, um, seminary is the place to go for, for proper training. Um, so I, I think I think it's important. You know, one thing I I learned in Greek is is a lot of pastors will typically teach when they teach they'll use a um, Greek word in a way that's not helpful. So for example, I'll give an example. Um, there's a popular passage uh, in um, I forgot exactly what book it, which gospel it is, but it's um, so. Peter, it's the first time Peter is seeing Jesus uh, on the on the beach there, uh, on the shore. Um, uh, after he, this is the first time he sees him after he denies him, after the, you know, obviously the death and resurrection of Christ. So as soon as Jesus sees and Peter see each other, um, they essentially correspond back and forth. Jesus says, um, you know, do you love me, Peter? Um, and Peter essentially says, um, you know, I love you back. And, um, you know, uh, Jesus says, feed my sheep, all those things. So I'm, I'm, I know I'm summarizing these a little bit. I'm paraphrasing this. I'm not, uh, it's not word for word. Of course, I don't have the passage up in front of me, but, uh, that's just, I mean, the, the, in the Greek, a lot of people will say, uh, a lot of pastors will, will use this passage as an example of, um, like something in the Greek where, you know, Jesus is saying, um, Peter, I am uh, agape you. I, I love you in in this unconditional way, essentially, is what people will say. And then Peter responds with, I phileo you. Like, it's like a brotherly love. I love you back to Jesus. And so people will say, well, see, like, 
Jesus is saying he loves Peter this way, and, and Peter's not expressing that same um, emphasis back. Um, and in fact, that's not exactly what John, uh, so it, okay, so it is John. It is, I just remember now, it was John that wrote it, so it was the Gospel of John. So John will do this a lot of times. He will use words that essentially mean the same thing, um, but they're different Greek words. So agape and phileo are both, they both mean love. And yes, they're used in different ways at certain times. But essentially, John was saying the same thing. Like he was still expressing, um, basically communicating what Jesus and Peter were saying uh, with the word love. Like so, it wasn't necessarily that that Peter and Jesus were talking about two different types of loves there. So I know I know in the Greek, a lot of people will point to well, uh, phileo means brotherly love and. Um, Agape means unconditional love. I get that. And at certain points, that is true. But in this case, John uh, will, um, like in many other cases as well, will use synonyms. Um, so different words, but they mean the same thing. Um, so I say that to say, you know, like a lot of pastors use that, and they use it and thinking it's a cool point in their sermon. And it's really not a a proper point. It's not biblical. Um, it's not based on proper exegesis. It's it's based on their own words gotten from a um, you know a, a particular uh, commentary or whatever. So um, they mean well. Pastors that use this mean well, generally speaking. And um, I that's that's okay. It's just you know seminary weeds through these different issues and different, um, I guess, fallacies that people will typically use. Um, you know, I know a lot of pastors that neglected um, seminary and, and they've come to conclusions such as the King James Bible is the only proper translation. And if you just, if you know Greek and you know Hebrew and you know the uh, about the process uh, by which these translations were uh, come together, you understand why the the NIV, for example, has different uh, ways of saying different things in passages. Um, it just it's not a very and, and again, you do not have to go to seminary to learn these things. But I've noticed a trend in those that are against seminary or don't think seminary is beneficial or helpful. Um, and a lot of times they'll go into the ministry with a lot of lack in training in these areas. Um, and at the very least, they're not informed of these specific examples. So as a result, what you'll see is they'll, they'll lack that knowledge about it and not understand how to talk to someone that is dealing with uh, these issues. And so I think it's, um, I think it's just an example there. Um, I'm trying to think of a, a good examples because I, I, I don't want it to be just, okay, seminary is good, and this is why. But, you know, I want it to be very specific that, you know, I want to give good proper examples that I've seen that have helped me personally. I mean, I can go down the list in church history of different things I've learned that have helped me. I mean, just in last semester, we, we discussed a lot about, like, how modern evangelicalism has come to be the way it is. And just the different streams of, um, just different streams of of 
theology, theological perspective, um, how they come together and how they differ. Um, for example, you know, many people know about fundamentalists. When they think of fundamentalists, they generally think of independent fundamentalists, uh, Baptist. And I get that. I do too. Oh, I, I completely get it. Um, and people use that in a derogatory way now. But the reality is that word is, was, has not always been derogatory. Um, that word came in the early 20th century. Um, liberals, liberalism was climbing. I mean, it was getting very popular. I mean, Darwinianism was, was very much popular. Um, I mean, communism was kind of on the up and up. Um, and as a result of uh, the theological liberalism that was around in that day, um, the theological conservatives came out with uh, a set of books, set of, uh, I guess, more like pamphlets almost, booklets or whatever you want to say. And they were essentially the fundamentals of the f fundamentals of the faith. So those that subscribe to these fundamentals were called fundamentalists. And so what you have is, is, is these guys came together. Um, obviously, these books or whatever are not infallible and inerrant by any means, but they were, I believe, biblically faithful articulations of, um, of different topics. So, for example, inerrancy was a big thing. You know, they articulated um, and professed inerrancy. Um, they believe that God's word is perfect and without error. Now, some of you might be like, well, duh, Jared, it is. I mean, well, not everyone agrees with that. A lot of people don't. Um, I mean, here at seminary, I've met several people that have challenged that, have disagreed with it. Um, I mean, you might say, well, that, I mean, your seminary must, must be bad. Well, I mean, this seminary has great professors that all agree with inerrancy, but not all the students are going to agree with it. And that's fine. I mean, that's... That's okay, as long as the seminary itself is teaching good and faithful things. Um, that's fine. I mean, of course I want them to teach the other side. But, as I mean, as long as they are uh, reflecting the Baptist faith and message properly, I mean, you know, this is a Southern Baptist institution, so if they go outside the Baptist faith and message, that's a problem. But, um Students are not required to agree with everything professors say. Um, and I, I mean, I don't want them to e anyway. I mean, I want them to understand and know these things based on their own study and based on their own convictions and arriving at these things. But hopefully they arrive at the, I mean, all of us. I mean, I'm still a student. I, I want to arrive at the right conclusion. You know, and the biblical conclusion, the, the, the one that's most faithful to Scripture and to God. Um, but so funda the fundamentals uh, of the faith, uh, such as inerrancy, uh, penal substitutionary atonement, uh, the proclamation of the gospel to, to all people, all of those things come into play when you're referring to what a fundamentalist is. And um, I, I didn't know that going into seminary, and I don't hear a lot of people um, that understand that very well anyway. And, and I think that's helpful in understanding, you know, why we're at where we're, we're at. And also understanding where liberalism has come from, uh, the origins of it. You know, um, I get this a lot. Uh, Christians have not always agreed with inerrancy. 
uh, Christians have not always agreed with penal substitutionary atonement. Well, if you you look at history, you'll see that that's not necessarily the case. It's not necessarily the case that every single Christian in church history have, has always agreed with those things, but but there have definitely been always been Christians that have understood and articulated those those doctrines differently. Now, the word inerrancy hasn't always existed, just like homosexuality. That word homosexuality has not always existed, uh, but that term was coined. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure exactly the year, but it was it was pretty recent. I think the 20th century, maybe 19th century, or something like that. Um, but anyway, the concept of you know uh, um, two people of the same sex. Uh, being in relationship with one another. That has always existed, I mean, for a very long time. Um, and so I just, you know, same thing with the inerrancy or penal substitutionary atonement or anything like that. Just because those terms haven't always existed uh, doesn't mean uh, that those, the, the concepts behind them have not, and people didn't believe them. Um, people did have believed those things for, for, for centuries now. Um, and so I say all that to say, because you know, I'm just using all these different conversations and topics just to point back to seminary is important in, in helping people and future pastors and, and ministers and even, even regular church members understand uh, biblical theology and systematic theology and these different topics well and to understand the different perspectives that uh, are within um, evangelicalism or even outside ev evangelicalism so that's important I think we we need to, to understand that um, and to encourage uh, young pastors to be trained um, now unfortunately not every person is able to afford it I get it there are ways to um, to raise money, to um, ask your church for help. I mean, not that they would pay the whole thing maybe, but um, help you out enough. Um, there are ways to go about it. I mean, scholarships. There's different ways of, of getting the um, funds needed to go to seminary. And I know not everyone's going to enjoy it, um, and that's fine. But I think at the end of the day, um, God will use seminary, um, good seminaries, biblically faithful seminaries to help shape minds um, and hearts. Um, and that being done by God's hand. Um, and I, th I think if that is the case, um, they will be benefited in their ministry and they will um, shepherd churches that will um, help spread the gospel, expand the kingdom. One thing... I want to add to all this is something I've had to understand and comprehend is I don't know every single answer and every single question and every single proposition and all those things. I don't know all of these things um, in theology. In I mean, I'm still learning all of these different perspectives. I still am amazed at how many different conversations are happening within um, evangelicalism or because of some type of passage uh, in scripture and some because of a scripture passage because of a point that people um, are pointing to um, whatever it may be you know 
there are just endless amounts of discussions, and I still don't understand them all. And we won't. Um, we won't know every book and author and position, but the one thing we can do as humble Christians is, is in humility, say, I don't know, help me know. Like, what are you referring to? What are you talking about? You know, what's going on here in this conversation? You know, one big discussion that's happening a lot is social justice. You know, what is social justice? Um, why would someone be opposed to social justice? You know, asking these questions, that's just an example. You know, what is cessationism? Why are people cessationist? Uh, being humble about that. Um, I've learned I've had to ask so many questions because I don't know these answers, and I still don't know all of them. And there's several things that I've wrestled with here, uh, and I still don't understand and know. Um, even though I, I I have a perspective, I, I don't. I still am challenged by other positions um, that believe in different. Um, eschatological perspectives like you know for example I'm I agree with amillennialism now I don't see a need in changing my position but when I hear people come back and and say Jerry what about this passage uh, in premillennial from a premillennial perspective or even a dispensational perspective sometimes I'm just like man that's a good argument I don't know I just I don't know you know that doesn't mean I'm wrong. It doesn't mean they're right. It doesn't mean I'm right and they're wrong. It just means that I don't know at this moment in time how to answer that. But you know what? That's okay. And we all have to be comfortable in that. And that's one thing about seminary that I, I hope students are learning if they're here and if someone is, is going to come to seminary that they will learn. And that's one thing I can encourage people. One way I can encourage people on is, is that being humble about what they do and do not know, it's very um, it's very important. And also, another thing, with the humility of not knowing all of those things, being confident enough in the Lord and in your faith to ask questions and to discuss different things. Now, I'm not saying you have to argue and debate and fight about every little thing. But questioning, um, discussing, and being unafraid in, in, in doing those things in a gracious and biblical manner, there's nothing wrong with that. And yes, I'm even talking about the social media platform. I see no reason why biblical Christians, healthy Christians, cannot discuss many of these issues on the public platform. Now, I know some people say, well, it's not the place to do it. Well, what is the place to do it? Face-to-face? -face? I agree. But the world we live in today, it's much different than what it used to be. The public arena is social media now. And so that doesn't mean we take all of our conversations on there. That's not to say that. But when there are opportunities and, you know, helpful and healthy ways to go about discussing different issues... I see nothing wrong with us doing that and participating in that. Now, when we do it, we do so in a biblical manner and be Christ-like, encouraging, loving, hoping for the best, um, 
helping them in any way we can and being humble and willing to listen to their perspective. But that's that's so important that we we be willing to, to engage in in certain ways if necessary. Now, if, if like, nah, that's just not my thing, Jared. I, 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 I don't want to, to be in the public square in that way. I want to be it to, to discuss these things in different arenas. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. There, you know, not everyone's going to want to do it the same way. But if some people, I mean, there are some people that find a benefit in that. And believe it or not, I, I know this is a, you know, most people say, well, I've never, my mind has never been changed on social media. Well, I don't think I've ever seen someone change their mind. Well, I have, but it's usually not over, you know, in that conversation, one person doesn't change another person's mind on the spot. But you will see a lot of times conversations in Facebook and social media and Twitter will help mold people a little bit slowly and eventually uh, their their opinion maybe will change dramatically or be adjusted um, as time goes on. And that's come from a, a different perspective or they, they're understanding something differently. And I'm not saying that's always a good thing necessarily, but that is to say that there are times where social media can be a um, a platform where people change their opinion, which could be a good thing. It could, but it also obviously could be a negative thing. But um, as Christians, we have to understand that non-Christians, they're on there. They're going to be in the public square. And they're going to be um, reflecting and they're going to be arguing for their worldview and as Christians, we have to be willing to do what the apostles did and engage them in love, in grace, not to to bash them, but to lovingly pr- proclaim the gospel, um, to help them in any way we can, um, but also our fellow brothers and sisters. Now, we have to do it differently. We have to come at these conversations differently and strategically. We can't just all coming in these conversations the same exact way, no matter who it is. Or no matter what topic it is, we have to to be very prayerful and and understanding on these conversations. So, and I say all that to say, and you know, you might be asking, what does it have to do with seminary? Um, I think in seminary, um, there tends to be a um, either two things happen: um, a student will either become prideful and arrogant about his or her beliefs, um, their knowledge, and they'll get puffed up and they'll go on social media and rant and rave. Or the person will become, you know, secluded and they will not engage people anymore um, but for whatever reason. Um, and I think both of those are possibly unhelpful reactions or responses. But also, from the other side, people that aren't at seminary, it's important for, for, for those to... Un- for those folks to understand that people in seminary are discussing a lot of these things and these discussions in seminary do not need to stay there. They need to go out and spill out into the to these churches, um, asking the same questions, working through the same things. Um, I think that's helpful to, to, for, to admit that, to understand that, um, and also to understand that the way to go about encouraging that is in the public arena, whether that be face-to-face um, or social media or whatever it is. However you can go about doing that, we have to be having these conversations, whether it's about church history, 
whether it's about systematic theology. I mean, good luck uh, trying to teach someone Greek over social media. I don't see how that's possible, but you know, you know, more power to you if you can. But um, you know, I, I just I want this to be an encouragement to people to look at seminary as a profitable thing, um, a, a helpful thing, not something that just you know a um, useless and unnecessary um, stumbling block for pastors. Um, and you know whether or not churches require pastors to be trained at seminary, that's for them to decide. But I mean personally I think I think that that's wise to require that. Um, but you know, uh, every every church um, is going to be different in that, and that's fine. I'm not. I'm not. Um, I'm definitely not uh, bashing churches that that do or do not do that. So, um, I hope this was helpful. Um, I know I've ranted a lot. I've talked a lot um, about just this little subject called seminary. I plan on doing some more um, uh, conversations, more episodes on this topic. Um, I plan on have it. A Southwestern student on here to talk about how their seminary experience has been and what they've gone through, and uh, hopefully help encourage those and help those that are either in seminary or are interested in it, or just maybe you're interested in seeing understanding what seminary students go through because it's definitely a different world uh, for sure. You're in this like Christian bubble, and I think it's helpful to understand what they're going through because. It's not all, you know, um, glamorous and, and sparkly like um, some might say. It's not. I mean, obviously on social media, students will be putting out positive things, hopefully, about seminary. But not all things are positive. And not necessarily, there's nothing necessarily wrong with uh, Southwestern. Of course, every seminary is imperfect and has... Um, has things that they can work on, but there are things that students go through at these schools that are not good, that are um, very discouraging, and I think it's good to talk about these things and just be honest in, in that sense. Um, so uh, I, I hope that this has been encouraging to you. If you're interested in seminary, uh, you're interested in Southwestern, please uh, don't hesitate to contact me. I'd love to tell you about Southwestern. Uh, it's a great school. And um, God's doing great things here. Uh, Dr. Greenway is the new president here. This is his first full seminary year. So really looking forward to what he will be doing. I already can see we, we're just getting so many great professors and new students. I mean, it's just great. It's, it's going to be a great time. I'm excited about my time here, me and Amy, living in the, in the student housing, having just a wonderful time. Um, not to say everything's perfect, but it's, it is to say this is a blessing for us, and I can't wait to see what God continues to do. And um, I hope that God is working in your life. I pray that he is. I pray that, that you are reminded of the gospel in this conversation and that uh, you will go forth and proclaim that gospel as a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I hope you um, hear the gospel and um, understand it and, and come to realize that that Christ is Lord and, and that He is the only way to the Father and that um, only by Him can you be saved. And that's important to understand. I do want to say that. I didn't plan on it, but um, that's important. I just wanted to say that before I 
close. If you're not a Christian and, and you want to know more about the gospel, please, please call, uh, contact me uh, and we'll have a phone conversation. I mean, even if I don't know you that well, I mean, it's fine. We can talk and uh, get to know one another. And I'd love to hear your story, hear what you've gone through and um, ex explain the gospel more clearly and, um, and just a uh, more personal way. So anyway, hope you have a wonderful week and God bless.